We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This episode is sponsored by Blue Wire Hustle. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for the Blue Wire Network. And joining me tonight is my co-host, the man who just got $100 richer, Eric Crocker. What's going on, winner? Man, I'm feeling good, and I'm feeling like, you know, there was a little bit of justice for Kendrick Bourne. There was, dude. You know who the team's leading receiver was today? I'm assuming Kendrick Bourne. Don't tell me how many catches he had. If I had to guess, I'd say seven for about 65. You were low on the – you were too high on the catches, but too low on the yards. Oh, wow. He ended up with five catches for 76 yards. He was – not the team's lead. He didn't lead the team in receptions, but he led the team in yardage. Hmm. George Kittle had seven catches for 68 yards, and Kendrick Bourne had five for 76. Not bad. So let me jump. I should have already done this. I should have already done this. But let's jump in here. Let's see what he officially finished at. So if you are, are if this just happens to be the first time you've ever listened, listened to Striking Gold, pretty much the entire season we've been talking about Crocker's bet that Kendrick Bourne would get 45 receptions or more. Um, and he bet $100 with, who was who was the, uh, what was your friend's name, Crocker? Uh, Mike Finn. Okay. Mike, but I bet 100 bucks that Eric Crocker would get at least 45 receptions. And going into this game, Kendrick Bourne had 44 receptions for 591 yards and two touchdowns. So we knew he needed one catch today to hit that record, and he ended up with five. So that means he finished the season with 49 catches for 665 yards, which is not bad for a 49ers, like, number three 
receiver, right? I mean, that's like right. exactly what you want a number three receiver to be at. And and I guess you could call him for this season. You could almost say Kendrick Bourne was like a a two point five. You know what I mean? Because Debo <laughs> Samuel missed so much time. Um, I guess you could still call him a three point five. They're a three receiver because you got Ayuk, you got Kittle, but Kittle missed a ton of time. So I mean, it, for most of the season, it felt like it was the Brandon Ayuk Kendrick Bourne show. Yeah, at yeah. least on the perimeter, you know. And, so, um, what are you gonna What are you gonna do with that hundred bucks? And uh, well, you know, I'm I'm like starting up my you know training business, as you know. So like any little money I get, man, I I kind of invested into some equipment or you know anything that I can get from that standpoint. So uh, uh, probably go get some like resistance bands or anything. Hey, if there's anybody out there you guys want to uh, donate or something, uh, feel free. <laughs> so I need some more equipment and everything. I actually have a good amount, but there's some speed things I want, and eventually I want one of those speed. Uh, uh, it's like a speed treadmill. Have you seen those? Man, I think that's like $3,000. So are you talking about the ones that are like shaped like a, almost like a half circle or a quarter circle. Yeah. Like, actually grounded. Yeah. So, so you, as you're running, it moves the thing and it kind of shows you how fast you're running, but, um, it's not like a regular treadmill that kind of goes on its own and you just keep up with it. With this one, you actually, you make it go. And you try to hold that like a certain kind of pace or build up to a certain speed. Um, but it's it's something that's um, it's it's cool. I've used it a couple of times. I'm like, man, this is nice. And that definitely you have to run like you have to use good running form on there. If you if your form is off at all, it it'd kind of throw everything off. So it's really good. man. I, I want to get one of those. Interesting. Well, yeah. And I feel like that's one of those things that maybe elevate athletics would have that not a lot of other places would have. Right. You know what I'm talking about? So getting one of those would be kind of cool. Maybe it'd be a little bit of a draw for, for the athletes that want to take a super cool running fast video for their Instagram. Yep. Could you time them on there? So you, you want them to get to their top speed and then hold that for like 10 seconds. And it, it's difficult because you have to hold it with really good form. Um, so yeah, anybody wants to donate a few thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> feel free <laughs> feel free whatever whatever you were planning on donating if you are planning to donate to Crocker just make it $100 less than you're planning on it because you know he just won that $100 bet so, I just won that $100 bet man give me some resistance bands let's go right yeah that's a great that's a great bet dude that was cool watching that play out and it was funny too because I know the moment I tweeted it out like there you could tell there were so many people that on Twitter and and listeners that were like paying attention to that storyline you know that oh, we kind of yeah. We've kind of built up for so long throughout the year. So it was yeah, cool to see I, him I get told, there. I even told my wife, I said, as soon as he caught the ball, I said, oh, uh, I won the bet. And then she was like, really? And I was like, watch this. Like, watch my phone go off. And um, we were just kind of looking at it and, like, just tweet after tweet after tweet. Like, they were rolling in. And I'm like, man, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, more than anything, it just shows people are listening to the podcast. Well, and that's what, one thing I would say, too, because you only made mention of that bet on Twitter like a few times outside of, of the podcast. So right. everybody, I feel like everybody who was hitting you up to congratulate you on winning the bet, was there was a good chance that they were they were striking gold listeners. So shout out to you guys for uh, for holding it down and uh, keeping up with the story. And it was, uh, and again, I mean, just to kind of keep it on on Kendrick Bourne who obviously was like I said the 49ers leading receiver today um he spoke with the media after practice and said that he definitely he's a pending free agent if you didn't know 
And he said he definitely wants to be back with the 49ers this year. He just feels like you could tell he just loves it here. He feels like he can be exactly the person that he wants to be. Everybody knows who knows Kendrick Bourne knows he's always dancing. His personality is is at the forefront of his game. You could tell he really, really wanted to come back, but he really has no idea what's going to happen. And and I would say that being he's an undrafted free agent, he needs to capitalize on whatever contracts are going to come his way. You know, because he he's earned where he's gotten. So hopefully the 49ers, if they do plan on keeping him around, the 49ers have a lot of work to do when it comes to other more pressing contracts. But if they do plan to keep him around, hopefully they offer him a competitive salary. That way uh, he doesn't have to feel like he has to make a choice between getting paid and or, or staying where he wants to stay because hopefully the two kind of align. But but we'll see because I would say if it came down to it, the, the man should get paid more more than anything. But right. um We'll see. We'll see how that goes. He Kendrick Bourne is is just one of of twenty something other players on the 49ers roster that are scheduled to become free agents this offseason. So it's going to be intense. So Crocker, the 49ers lost to the Seahawks today in a very very respectable game. I would say the 49ers did not embarrass themselves for the most part. They lost twenty six to twenty three. Uh, Russell Wilson had his had his typical late game heroics. Uh, what was your just over, what were your overall feelings on that game? You know, I, I was extremely impressed. I had tweeted out while well, the 49ers were up like 10. And I, I knew the game wasn't over. So I had tweeted, you know, regardless of how this game turns out, that lets you know right there, I knew the game was not over. <clears throat> but I said, regardless of how this game turns out, I'm just so impressed with Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala with this year. You know, I, I've been trying to teach my son lessons about adversity. And, you know, fighting through adversities, like things aren't going to always go well. You have to find a way, things like that. And that's exactly what Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan exemplified throughout this season. The 49ers went, you know, 6-10, and 10, but mainly because they struggled at the quarterback position. And not because Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, yeah, he had his, you know, hiccups. But I think, for you know, we, we could all agree that I think with him on, the, you know, playing every game, the 49ers are at least three games better. And the the one thing that kind of stood out to me today was, you know, with C.J. Beathard, we, we saw, you know, they showed the plays that he missed, you know, missing a couple of touchdowns that, you know, ended up resulting in field goals. But the, him not turning the ball over and how that gave the 49ers a chance. And, you know, when you watched other games, it it was like that that was the main, that was the main issue, right? When, when you watched the against the Eagles, when you watch them against the Cowboys, when you watch them against the Redskins, who didn't even score a touchdown on offense. Um, it was the turnovers by the offense. And I thought, more than anything, like, man, C.J. Beathard, good job of eliminating that, for the most part, until, like, the end where he fumbled. <laughs> but it just shows, like, I-, I felt like Kyle Shanahan, Robert Solomon, they had the team just ready to go and and – ready to play hard. They never gave up. They played hard the entire season. It, it, it was, it was good. It was good to see, even though it was hard to see because your guys aren't out there, but that, that was a fun game. That was a fun game to watch and um, kind of watch too, because again, I watching it like, and I hope people don't take this wrong way, but what the higher draft pick? And I'm like, damn, we're not winning right now. What? Like Seahawks, you guys got to, got to get it together. But then it's like, I want to take down the boogeyman, which is uh which is Russell Wilson. So, and I, you know, I can't stand Pete, Pete Carroll with his 
uh, chewing their gum a thousand miles an hour on the sideline. So <laughs> I want to beat the Seahawks, but you know, I definitely have you know those quarterbacks in in my sight as well. So you know, it was tough, but it was it, it was a fun watch. I said a whole lot, but it was a fun watch. It was. It was an entertaining game, and and uh, and obviously, I spent that whole time watching the game, knowing that from a broader spectrum. You know, from an overall point of view, that it was obviously better if the 49ers lost because, and I ended up tweeting and tweeting now. Now, the 49ers were until the Denver Broncos decided to completely shit the bed. Uh, the 49ers were in line with the 11th overall pick if the Ra- Raiders lost to the Broncos. Well, the Raiders came back uh, in the closing seconds. Apparently, Vic Fangio called some timeouts that gave the Raiders all the time they needed to kind of orchestrate their their game winning drive and they went for two instead of tying it up, you know, obviously neither team was slated for the playoffs. So the Raiders just went for the front for the two point conversion and ended up winning the game with the two point conversion. Um, I know the Broncos ended up going from some like 68 yard field goal or something, but uh, got blocked. So, yeah. So the Raiders <laughs> winning moved the 49ers from 11th to 12th. If the 49ers would have beaten the Seahawks today, they would have been 15th. And I believe the, the the win over the Cardinals yesterday cost them a few draft spots. Or not yesterday, last week. The win over the Cardinals cost them a few draft spots. But, what, you know, when I look back at that win, that win wasn't even, you know, like the 49ers whipped the Cardinals' ass in that game. You know what I mean? So it, it, like, it wasn't like they, they pulled up some late game heroics or something. The 49ers were kind of like, at least in that game, they were like clearly the better team. So I, I, I don't know. But the the big thing with me is going into these last couple of weeks, I was like, look, from a team perspective in the building, if the 49ers were able to finish the season with a win over the Cardinals, basically spoiling their playoff hopes, and I do believe the Cardinals will not make the playoffs, the Bears, the Bears will, um, spoiling the Cardinals or helping spoil the Cardinals playoff hopes. And then the Seahawks, no matter what, the, with, the, with Green Bay winning, they were, no matter what, they were going to play on uh, next week in the playoffs. So they weren't fighting for a higher seed or a bye week or anything like that. Um, I think that was solely dependent on if Green Bay was to lose, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So, but, but with me, when I was looking at it, I was like, look, the, the 49ers could close out the year with a win over the Cardinals and a win over the Seahawks. They, two of their, their biggest division rivals, they've already handled, uh, did a good job handling the Rams throughout the season. Um, always, for some reason, managed to look good against the Rams. Even if the Rams are good, it's weird. And, you know, that would be a lot of momentum going into the offseason, knowing you beat two teams that had a much better season than what you had. Well, I don't know. Cardinals kind of shit the bed late in the season. They did. And, and it, it just would have been a great way to end for the team in the building. They obviously competed. They, had a, they didn't embarrass themselves today. Um, the Seahawks are headed to the playoffs, and the 49ers with a third-string quarterback and backups all over the roster – gave a playoff-bound team a run for the money, which to me solidifies the idea that the 49ers, if they would have even had half of the the players healthy, let's just say they spent the year, but they never lost George Kittle or Jimmy Garoppolo. The 49ers are probably, they could be winning the division and competing for a bye week. I just feel like having those guys, and the broadcasters said it during the game, they're like, Kyle Shanahan was really honest with us before this game. And when we asked him, you know, kind of how this season went and how you feel going into next year, he said, man, I just want my players back. That's what they said. Kyle Shanahan said, which just shows you kind of how exhausted he is with the amount of guys they've had to play without this season. 
your starting quarterback, your best pass rusher, your second best pass rusher for most of the season, your all pro tight end. It was just, you know, what your wide receiver one slash two, wherever you have him. It was just a brutal year, but the 49ers finished pretty strong. I was still pretty impressed with the way they played. Um, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned C.J. Beathard already, and the 49ers offense got off to a super slow start. They did nothing in like the entire first quarter and a half. But C.J. Beathard kind of picked it up late in the second half, beginning of the third or you know third quarter. He ended up 25 of 37. 67% completion percentage for 273 yards and a very, I mean, I would, you could call that late touchdown garbage time, but because, but it pulled the 49ers within three points. And if they get that onside kick, they're like a couple of plays away from tying the game. So right. it wasn't really garbage time. They were, that was a legit score that they needed. So, um, the only, he only had that one fumble, which I know you, I know, I think you tweeted something about CJ Beathard stepping up in the pocket, which obviously he should have done. But both of the ed- Justin School and Mike McGlinchey just got their asses whipped, and both of the edges just immediately collapsed. And CJ Beathard was hit when he was in the middle of throwing. So, not the obviously kind of like a, it was a bad turnover no matter what. It pretty much sealed the game for the 49ers. But I don't know. A, a, I think a little bit of. Like when you see it, it's like dang, they they got beat right away. So it's like, hey, like <laughs> you got to step up. And you got to take off. Like, like, Get the like, hell out of there. You know, if he would have stepped up and just moved left, it was nothing but green grass. So that, that's what I mean. Like, and, and again, I, I said it, and I was like, man, you got to step up right there. And my wife was like, well, he's you know he's a third string quarterback, Eric. <laughs> like, right. He, she was like, he doesn't know. He like, should do a lot of things. Yeah, and my wife doesn't even watch football like that. I mean, she'll like kind of like watch a little bit because I'm watching, but she was like, he's a third string quarterback, Eric. He'll know. And um <laughs> like you're right. He is a third string quarterback for a reason. But you know, when you see something like that, you know, in that situation, it, it's just hey, most quarterbacks that have a feel for what's going on, they see, okay, he got beat, he got beat. Let me step up, slide. There's a big open area of grass. I can take off for a few yards or I can, you know, whatever, you know, they do, but they don't stand there at the at the aiming point of the ends and just try to throw the ball from there and, you know, get sack stripped, you know. So, but again, I'm not complaining. It, oh. If you go back and watch that play, I'm pretty sure the whole thing happened in about a second and a half. Yeah. Like, it, it was just, in the grand scheme of what we've seen from Nick Mullins throughout the season, C.J. Beathard's turnover was not was not the worst. Obviously, bad bad time in the field to do it, but it is what it is. Um, Jeff Wilson Jr. had another had another game for himself, kind of uh, you know at least solidifying himself as somebody that should be a part of their plans. Now he's going to be a restricted free agent. So we talked about this before, Croc. Do you put like a like what do you think? Do you put like a third round tender on Jeff Wilson, despite the fact that that might I don't know how much they cost. I don't know how much a third round tender costs, but. I mean, he's played well enough that that other teams are going to want to want to take a look. So, I don't yeah. think the 49ers are going to be able to get away with just an original round tender, which is nothing, and that just means t- other teams can just throw contracts at him that the 49ers probably aren't going to be able to match. Yeah, I, I would definitely throw uh, a third round tender on him, and maybe that gives somebody incentive to kind of come up and get him. And 49ers have done a really good job of being able to 
address the running back position via uh, undrafted guys. Now they also have kind of paid a lot. You know what? I hope they don't pay money for guys anymore, right? They they went out, they paid a bunch of money for Jet McKinnon because it was like, hey, we have to get him. He fits so well, we got to get him, and hasn't worked out. Same thing with Tevin Coleman. Got to get him. He fits so well, paid, you know, $5 million, whatever. Hasn't worked out. But the guys they didn't pay anything for, Jeff Wilson. And when I say anything, I mean, like, relative to, like, you know, real NFL money. Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert at the time that they signed him. You know, those guys have been very productive. So it's like, hey, man, like, if, if you do lose Jeff Wilson, you know, you can either draft a guy late or get, you know, another couple guys via, uh, um, you know, undrafted free agent or a free agent back that nobody's talking about that hits the market. You know, just something to where you know that you can kind of get by and you have Raheem Mostert coming back. Like, you know, kind of go that route. But, yeah, third round tender. See if somebody kind of bites. If they don't, then you get to keep them. Great. You have your one-two uh, punch with Mostert and Jeff Wilson. If somebody snatches them up, solid. You have a third-round pick. You can address the secondary or the offensive line or whatever. That that could be. Or you can use that to maybe move up, right? Four Niners might be in the market of trading up for a quarterback. You know, whatever they do, that can be very useful. And 49ers, I mean, running back seems to be a position that they can fairly easily address. So. You know, and – I'm just looking at this. I've got it pulled up right now, and I don't. I'm not sure a third round tender exists. They've got a first round tender, which is a one year contract worth four point six million, meaning that's what you pay that player unless another team comes along and signs that player to a contract. But it would cost that team that's signing the player a first round pick. So that's kind of rare. Obviously, not that's not in play for Jeff Jeff Wilson. Then there's a second round tender that costs three point two million. And if another team wanted to sign Jeff Wilson Jr., they'd have to pay him that money that for him that he would obviously want to accept. And then that team would have to give up a second round pick. And then obviously there's the original round tender where it's $2.1 million, But given Jeff Wilson Jr. is a undrafted free agent, then a team could sign him to that contract and not give up anything. But then there's a right of first refusal tender. It's a one-year contract worth $2.1 million. Team has the right to match any offer sheet with another team, but there is no draft compensation tied to his tender. So the, those two are, are like the same thing, essentially, for the 49ers. So it looks like the only option the 49ers would have is, if, if anything, was a second-round tender. But would you be willing to pay Jeff Wilson $3.2 million? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, because even then, like, relative to the rest of your roster, like, that's not much. But you're saying that's a second-round tender? Yeah, so a team would have to – and, and and given it's a second-round tender, I'd be willing to bet the if the 49ers put that on Jeff Wilson, then they're keeping Jeff Wilson. I don't think anybody's going to give up a second-round pick for Jeff Wilson Jr. Right, yeah, I, I highly doubt that. And not to say that, you know, he's not worthy of it, but I just don't think that people kind of um, value the position that way. Right. So Jeff Wilson Jr., going back to the game, Jeff Wilson Jr. had a good game, 20 carries for 76 yards, which is only just, it's a little under four yards a carry, but he also had um, three catches for 12 yards and a touchdown. So it's good for him for him. Jeff Wilson also had another score on the ground, um, you know, to put the 49ers up by two scores. So another good game from him. Uh, George Kittle. You know, unless, he's already spoken with the media. 
everybody could relax. I know that 49ers Twitter was up in arms at the fact that George Kittle, a healthy football player, was going to play football for these last two games. But somehow, some way, he made it through unscathed. Um, ended up today with seven catches for 68 yards and, uh, and, and did, did football things and, and he's okay. So he'll go into the off season. He'll obviously get a ton of rest, let his body get right. And he'll come back next season healthy. So everybody who was super up in arms about George Kittle playing football, um, everything's okay. He's, he's fine. He's good. Um, I'm trying to look through here. See if there's anything else that stood out on offense, but there really wasn't. You know, it was kind of a the 49ers offense was not a bright spot for most of the game. Richie James had that one big catch. At one point, Richie James had a 45-yard catch, and that was twice as much as the offense had up until that point. <laughs> Did you see my tweet? I don't well, I mean, I see a lot of your tweets. I'm not sure I see that. Oh, okay, one. sorry. I, I tweeted, um, I said, hmm. Richie James is Richie James is a, a deep threat. Who would have thought? <laughs> you know, we just have never seen it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, 49ers haven't used him that way or, you know, um, haven't thrown the ball downfield like that. So it was just refreshing kind of to see the 49ers just take a shot. Right. Yeah, it was and it was a beautiful ball. We've always known that CJ Bethard kind of throws a, a pretty good deep ball. Um, you know, he just the the trajectory of it is always pretty good. But it's not really enough to to keep you in the in the starting spot, unfortunately. So yeah, good little deep ball to to Richie James, forty five yards. I think at that point the 49ers had twenty one yards of offense through like three or four drives. So that was a cool little boost. Um, well, let's get a uh, let's get a quick uh, word in. And actually, I mean, it is a sponsor, but technically it's 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 a little word from Blue Wire on a new program that you guys can take advantage of if you feel like getting your podcast on. So. Let's uh, let me hit you with this real quick, a little blue wire hustle, and then when we come back, we'll talk some uh, we'll talk some 49ers defense. All right, I want to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle. It's a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top producers, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Yeah, if you guys are feeling like uh, hopping on the old the Blue Wire bandwagon because it's moving quick, jump on. Maybe uh, 
maybe Blue Wire Hustle is your ticket to uh, to superstardom. So take advantage of that if that sounds like something you want to do. But all right. So, Crocker, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an open mic right now because you played defense. You know what it's like to, to, to be on that side of the ball. Tell me what just what you think, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but tell me just what you think Robert Sala meant to this defense because we saw we saw it again today. Uh, they were way more dominant than they had any right to be considering their injuries. So kind of just what are just your general thoughts on the defense and, and kind of give me some of your own experience on what a good defensive coordinator or coach can help a, can help a defense like overachieve. You know, I, I think the, the the best defense I've ever been on, um, and I'll say for a full season, because with the Jets, I wasn't there a full season, but um, it's the San Jose Sabercats of the Arena Football League. <clears throat> and I was I was coming from uh, – I actually played two prior seasons in the, in the Arena Football League. Um, one where I did play well, and I ended up going to the NFL from there. Um, the other one I played very well. I had 11 interceptions. But I thought from a mental standpoint and the impact that the coaching staff had on the entire defense um, was when I was with San Jose. And the the coaching staff, like to say kind of what coaches can do, when, when I had 11 interceptions in Portland, I kind of freelanced and kind of just did my thing. And I, I mean, I played well, but we weren't like a dominant defense. And we had some really good players. In San Jose, there was no freelancing. It was... We knew everything that teams were going to run based off of their alignment and who was at what position. And I, I, I mean, I was like, it was really crazy. I mean, obviously there was a lot of hard work that went into it. But when we, when you talk about coaching, when we went into the meeting room, um, you know, Tuesday morning or whenever it was, Monday morning, the coach already had the entire game plan for the upcoming team laid out. And we knew exactly what they were going to do when they were lined up like in this spot and this guy was in motion or if it's this way or if it's first down and they need this much. If a guy comes at you like this, expect this route. I mean, it was so detailed to a T to where teams knew that we were so detailed with our defense. So they would run the opposite of whatever, like, you know, they would typically do. And that's how some teams would get us. Even then, we still played amazing throughout the year. Um, but And we only lost one game all year. And that one game we lost was to the worst team in the league that only won two games that whole season. So that's kind of, yeah, wow. But um, it the, the coach, man, like, he put us in position to make plays. And I think with Robert Sala, when you watch, with his adjustments and a lot of that game, like you're saying, I mean, you're playing with a lot of reserves on that defense. You know, there was no Richard Sherman. You're, you're missing Jaquiski Tart. Uh, there was no Dre Greenlaw or Alexander, who you started the season with. Obviously, we know all the changes up front on the defensive line, whether it's, you know, Bosa, D Ford, there's no Solomon Thomas. There is no, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, 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 the defensive end. From he played with the Lions, came from BYU. Oh, Ziggy Ansa? Ziggy Ansa. No, Ziggy Ansa. Like, I mean, there's just, you know, no Ronald Blair, like, just so devastated. But still, somehow, they were able to create consistent pressure on on uh, Russell Wilson. Not always get him to the ground, but made him throw the ball away at times, make him, made him get rid of passes when he didn't want to. Um, 
it looked he looked so uncomfortable for most of that game. Even then, he threw a good amount of passes and had less than 200 yards. It was a really good job um, defensively, and a lot of that starts with the head coach putting guys in position to win, get, putting guys in situations where he knows, hey, this is what's going to you know, make them have to do this, or hey, if we see this, expect this, and we're going to go here. And you saw a lot of that, man. Like the Seahawks really struggled with the 49ers for most of that game. And that that has to do with Robert Sala. Now, obviously, they have a great quarterback on the other side, Russell Wilson, so he's going to get his, and eventually he did. But for most of that game, you could see uh, a defensive coordinator that had his team ready and had them understanding exactly what the Seahawks want to do inside and out. And, I mean, that just speaks to the level of preparation and why so many people are so high on Robert Sala and why people expect him to be, you know, a top uh, a top coach uh, coming out. Um, uh, I mean, top, you know, head coaching candidate. So, yeah, not a lot to like with Robert Sala. Yeah, that, and, I, and I could speak to that a little bit. And even though at this point in my football career, it's only middle school football, but there was one time – um, the coach I coach under right now, because I'm not the head coach. I'm uh, I'm like the assistant head coach, and I coach receivers. Um, there was one time where I mean, and, and again, you gotta. This is middle school football. It's it's a lot more organized than than elementary school football. I'll say that, but it's it's just getting into the point of football where coaches start game planning and stuff like that. Because you got to realize that you're, you know, you're you're still working with 12 and 13 year old kids in a lot of cases. But um, the coach I'm coaching under now, he was he's better at preparing for games than any other coach I've ever coached under as far as studying what the other opponent did. Well, one funny instance was we played a school that basically liked to run the ball 99% of the time. And if they were gaining 3.3 yards per carry or whatever it is, they were good. As long as on fourth down, they had fourth and less than three then they would just keep running the ball. Boom, 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 boom. And what what he noticed was that the team only had one guard that was good at pulling and blocking. And that guard would always be uh, start the play on the opposite side of the run so that he could pull and block. And so he realized this, and obviously that's not something you could get away with. And even high school football, it's it's just it would obviously. But he noticed this, and we we played that team. We knew all of their run plays and which direction they were going, and who was going to be blocking which direction, just based on where that guard would line up. And that team ran the ball all game and ended the game with negative three yards. After an entire four quarters of football of running the ball, they ended the game with negative three yards because we had some big plays for plays for loss when they would try to throw it. We had some sacks, and it was just it was just a very very small example of what Crocker's talking about right now, and the fact that if coaches will go that extra mile to prepare for a game, it just puts players in a position to succeed. And the 49ers have mentioned that all year. They just said that that. Robert Sala had that team knowing exactly what they needed to do at all times. And they just always felt confident in the position that they were in and that Robert Sala wasn't asking too much of them, which for the 49ers and the fact that they're fielding a defense just filled with backups all over the place. It's just a ringing endorsement for a head coach that could put together a dominant defense 
lacking some of their most important pieces. Richard Sherman missed a ton of time. Now, obviously, when he was on the field, he wasn't what we were used to expecting, but he missed a ton of time. Nick Bosa missed essentially the entire season. D. Ford missed essentially the entire season. The 49ers in the offseason traded away DeForest Buckner and replaced him with a rookie who, by all intents and purposes, had a pretty good year. Um, you know, and there were so many other, they traded away Quan Alexander, who, if anything, is still a veteran in the defense. So there were all of these instances where the 49ers defense shouldn't have been as good as it was. And Robert Sala would have had every excuse to kind of, you know, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, pack it up in the way of competing. But the team, the team just kept performing and that's what makes his 20 performance in 2020 even more per, per, and more impressive from a defensive coordinator standpoint than 2019. Obviously, they were a better defense in 2019 because they had all of their players most of the time. But the 49ers still fielded a dominant defense despite the injuries because Robert Sala had that team so well prepared on a weekly basis. Did it always work? Always work out? No. I mean, we we kind of gave him a lot of shit for the Bills game, but then you watch the Bills hang 56 on a very solid Miami defense. So it's it was just impressive. It was a it was a very impressive year for Robert Sala. I put there I think there is a 0.0% chance that he's back with the 49ers this year, which in case you don't know, um the the NFL instituted a rule this year that if a def, it's a team hires a minority head coach uh, a head coach uh, or a, a head coach of color. If, if they hire a um, a minority head coach, the team that had that coach, as in Robert Sala on the 49ers, is awarded a two, not a two, third round picks. One in would be if um, so. Essentially, in the 49ers case, if Robert Sala is hired as a head coach, which I expect him to be, the 49ers will get a third round pick this year, and they'll get one next year, um, which is a, a huge incentive for teams to just make sure. That that they're you know they're they're cultivating a, a diverse coaching staff, which the NFL has been trying to take steps to make sure that happens for years and years and years, and and this is just another one, and hopefully it it helps because I'm sure there's a ton of good head coaches out there just waiting to get their shot, and we'll see if this helps them out. But I don't know what else. Uh, I mean, uh, real quick, you you know, touching on that whole. Um... Uh, you know, defense coordinating thing and stuff like that. A lot of people have asked, like, hey, what do 49ers do? You know, they lose Robert Sala. Who do they go get? You know, do you go get Quinn or, you know, somebody out there who has coached in the system? And I'm like, nah, man, like, you have D'Amico Ryan, right? And D'Amico Ryan's has, okay, so there's been people, you know, tweeting about D'Amico Ryan and his lack of experience as a coach, right? And they're like, well, can you trust this guy to call plays? And I would say, hell yeah. <laughs> the reason well, for go back is, and look at the amount of experience Robert Sala had when he got the job. Right. Now, Robert Sala had been like, uh, uh, what is it, uh, uh, quality control. He's done some things like that. But we're talking about uh, a, a linebacker who did, he didn't have to be quality control. He played 10 years or whatever he played. So, one, he had a long career playing in the NFL, being under a bunch of different coaches you know, different coaching staffs um, in, in that way, you know, just being able to kind of uh, uh, get gain experience that way and kind of have an idea of things. Two, 
He's a linebacker. So linebackers, more than anyone else on the defense, have to understand exactly how the front end works with the back end, right? They understand how the defensive line have to move their stunts and things like that. They understand the back end and how the coverage all ties in together with the linebackers, right? Because when you're a cornerback, you kind of know what linebackers do a little bit. You don't know. You don't really know what what the front end is like, like what the, you kind of know, like, oh God, no, they have some twists and stunts, but I don't really know how the stuff works all together. Same thing with the defensive line. Defensive line, you know, they probably don't really know the ins and out of coverage drops from the linebackers and the secondary, but the linebackers are the ones who have to know both, you know, the front and the back end. So they are a little bit more, I'd say equipped kind of right away, right? If you do have to be a defensive coordinator, in a shorter time span, but that's not the best thing like to me or the thing that kind of gives him the edge. Um, the other thing is when you look at D'Amico Ryan's, he's been with the 49ers staff since they got there. So in 2017, he's been with uh, Robert Sala and looking at, you know, him with Robert Sala, Sala, remember, this was his first time um, being a defensive coordinator, um, being a play caller. It's like, do you guys not think that these guys have been in every meeting together? bouncing ideas off of each other, going over every game plan. How are we going to use this guy? How are we going to do this? Okay, I think you should do this. Taking advice, all these things. I mean, for the last four years, I don't think that there's any better way to really learn and understand the ins and outs and really be qualified to do something like this than D'Amico Ryans. And I saw somebody, somebody tweeted to me, they're like, hey, there were people scared that D'Amico Ryans would get posted from the 49ers after the first year. So this is somebody that has made some sort of impression, good impression on people, you know, since he's been in the building. So, and, and then on top of that, there's more extra incentive because if he turns into a, a defensive coordinator, you get a couple more uh, third round picks. <laughs> so like D'Amico Ryan, man, if I'm the 49ers and they lose Robert Sala, who has been excellent for the 49ers, that's the person that I would, I would go to first. And at the end of the day, you don't know everything, but just like a parent, when you're a parent, you don't go into being a parent knowing everything exactly how, you know, the best experience is doing. And I think right away, somebody like D'Amico Ryan seems like a sharp guy. He'd catch on that. That's who I'm. I hope he gets it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I believe that the 49ers now, I would really have to go through and kind of see how it all unfolded to, to make this like official. But I believe the 49ers like had to promote Deco Ryan, D'Amico Ryan's to linebackers coach because other teams were taking a look at him for that position on their team. And, and teams are not permitted to allow a coach to leave if it's for a lateral move, if, if it's not for a promotion. So I believe the 49ers um, a few years ago were forced to make D'Amico Ryan's the linebacker coach. Because so that he couldn't get poached by another team for what would to, what would have technically been um, an upgrade, and I think the 49ers are probably going to be in that same position this year. You know, I think D'Amico Ryan's, especially from somebody like Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryan's is going to is going to be getting some looks at defensive coordinator from other teams. I think the 49ers going to, if they want to keep him in the building, are probably going to have to promote him to defensive coordinator. And uh, I mean, and that's not to say he's not deserving like Croc just got done saying me saying that the 49ers are probably going to have to make that move does not is not me saying that he's not that he shouldn't make that move. I believe the um, NBC sports guys. um, 
who are the the guys that, that do their stuff with with Matt Mayoko? Mm-hmm. You got Dante Whitner, Ian Williams, and then there was somebody else, uh, Takeo Spikes, right? Don't yeah. the three of them? Oh, yeah, and they were they were all talking um, uh, earlier this week, and I believe they all said that hey, it needs to be D'Amico Ryan's like. And they all agreed on it unanimously that this should be the guy. And there's going to be some def- decent defensive coordinator jobs available f- um, from elsewhere in the league. Who's the guy that stepped in right now for the Falcons head coach? It um, is uh, uh, the former defensive back. Uh, he, yeah. Raheem Morris? Morris? Yeah, there you go. I think that's it. And I know that he's going to get he, – he's probably going to be a defensive coordinator this offseason. If he doesn't, yeah. I don't think – I don't he think he'll get the Atlanta head coaching job, but he, he was a head coach in the past, right? For Tampa Bay, I want to say. I don't know. I think I Raheem Morris was the was the head coach for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, I'm looking at him right now. I'm just, I'm just I just don't know a whole lot about him, but I know that a lot of people say, look, he may not, he may not, he Atlanta could keep him, but he may not step straight into a head coaching role, and that and that could be somebody. Um, uh, yeah, it did say head coach. Yeah, it did say he's got head coach experience. I think yeah. it was with the Buccaneers. Yeah, you might be right. But, yeah. So, there are going to be some interesting options out there for that, but the 49ers' best option might be right right in, in-house. So, um, I'm trying – dude, I feel, like we were, I feel like we're missing something. Like, we haven't talked about something. I, I don't know what it is. Thing. I mean, I think we talked about Salah and kind of how the defense kind of works and my thoughts on that, but I don't think we kind of just really talked about how the defense, um, like anybody individually or anything like that. Well, Fred Warner was Fred Warner. He was all over the place <laughs> again. He had he had 10 tackles, a sack, two quarterback hits, a tackle for loss. You know who's who, who – and I tweeted about this, uh, Aziz Alshire. I think that's how you say his name. He was all over the place today. And, well played and, with confidence. Right, yeah, and he uh, – he is, his role kind of expanded when the 49ers traded Quan Alexander away. I think he's their third linebacker, kind of in base downs, but he showed out a lot. He was third in tackles with nine. He had a tackle for loss. He had a pass breakup. Um, he was good. He actually tipped a pass that ended up falling incomplete in the end zone to DK Metcalf um, with Jason Verrett in coverage. So, flat. I don't think Greenlaw played today. So it was, it was, uh, it, just if, off the top of my head, I, you know, obviously Warner and Al Shair started, and then there was Demet- Demetrius uh, Fl- Flanagan Falls. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I know he's from uh, Arizona, I believe. Uh, he played, I, I want to say he got his first start. So um, I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware until the game actually like started that Greenlaw wasn't going to be playing at all. They had so many guys that. Miss this game. It was really tough to keep up with the massive list of Why players. Number 17? I saw number 17 on the sideline. Who is that? I don't know. I'd have to get on their roster. <laughs> too many. Man. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to make it. I can, I can get there pretty quick. Let's see. I can yeah. organize my numbers. 17 is their new, is Matt Cole. They're the guy they just signed. Um, okay. he's, a, he's a rookie uh, undrafted free agent. And wow. um, he was, I think he was a gunner on special teams. Okay. Yeah, I saw number seventeen, and I was like, "Wait, what? Who?" Yeah. 
Yeah, that cool. Really not just say that there were four guys that had like never played in the NFL, like, but we're suiting up. <laughs> right. Yeah. The kicker was one of them. And I mean, I guess I, I got to bring him up. I think he hit all three of his kicks. Kicked I think very it was. Well. Yeah. And dude, he, every single one of his kicks looked like they would have been good from like 70 yards. That's like, one they of were. It's like, do we have to pay Robbie Gold all this money? But obviously, you don't know how this kid would kick in a big moment, but right. shit. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he made three field goals and then made both the extra points. Um, you know, he attributed 11 points to the team. So, I mean, good for him. That was his yeah. first. He was on the Vikings practice squad. 49ers snatched him, signed him to their practice squad this week, and then promoted him for the game because Robbie Gould, um, who the 49ers just signed to a, a two-year extension, um, was on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. So that was just an interesting thing. But, yeah, I, I mean, who knows how good he would be over the course of a season. But I know that the moment he, I saw him kick that first first ball, I was like, dude, like – they just look blasted. Like, it was just, it was crazy. Um, who else on defense did their thing? What, dude, what do you, what is like, is Dante Johnson just going to have like a 20 year NFL career? Yeah, he's made a, a hell of a career and it looked like it was kind of going downhill for a little bit. Started getting passed around, you know, went to, you know, from the Niners to like the Seahawks, went to another team. Next thing you know, he's back on the Niners and he has been able to hang around. And again, um, I know the thought of Dante Johnson isn't good, but I will <laughs> say today at no point that I think he was the problem or the issue. So, right. you know, ideally you don't, you know, I think he, he's solid in his role where it's like, okay, I'm like your sixth corner, you know, uh, as long as, but shoot, he played more than Mosley. What the hell? Oh, right? yeah. I mean, the DB situation has just been flipped upside down. But I don't want to leave Dante Johnson too quickly because I feel like he needs a – he gets a shout-out for just stepping in and playing nickel, and which is an extremely – I mean, would you say that nickel's the hardest corner position to play? Oh, yeah. It's, it's very difficult because you're out there having to cover in a lot of space. So guys have a two-way go on you, especially in man coverage, extremely difficult. Now, when you're playing your zones, it's a little easier – but still a lot of space, you know, whether it's in and out and, you know, having to reroute guys and sink underneath the other routes. So, you know, all those things, man, like that, that to me, that's the most difficult cornerback spot, but you typically see less vertical shots from that spot, just more like quicker stuff, which is why you see a lot of the guys in the slot that maybe don't have real deep speed, but they have really good short area quickness. And typically you want a defensive back there to kind of be able to match that, which Dante Johnson doesn't, but shoot, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell from today because I thought he he played well. And he's had a couple of good games, but I think the one thing that kind of sticks out to most people people is, you know, getting bombed on in the Philadelphia Eagles game. And, you know, come to find out he was playing in that game, had a, a growing issue. I think um, he was playing through like two injuries. Yeah, and he like had to because the 49ers had nobody else they could put in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, again, people are, it, it, it's kind of like the Keller Witherspoon thing where it's like anytime something goes wrong with one of those two guys, people are going to be like, oh, why is he here? Why is he in the NFL? But Akella played well until, you know, obviously that last play, which I mean, that's a whole nother subject um, that I can kind of go into. But uh, Akella played well today. 
wasn't the issue. Guys play well, man. Robert Solid, man. Uh, give it up for him, man. Dude, dude, he's getting on these guys and putting them in positions. And I mean, all these guys who maybe wouldn't be highly sought after, but now, I mean, he might have made some guys some money. Like he might have made a kilo money for uh, because of these last few weeks that he's put together. And you look at it like, why the hell hasn't the kilo been playing more? And what the hell happened with Emmanuel Mosley? Why is he playing on the outside? Why is Emmanuel Mosley playing in the slot? He was somebody <laughs> that would be the first slot up if if Williams was hurt. I mean, hell, I thought he would. I would have been like, hey, you know, I can release Williams because I think that Mosley is so good in the slot. And that just, I don't know. I'm I'm so kind of caught off guard by how that whole thing played out. Now I do expect him to be back. Uh, because he's a restricted free agent, and at the very least, you have depth, and you have a lot of guys that are leaving. But yeah, I'm, uh, it's really wild. Mosley not playing as much. Witherspoon playing well um, until that last that's, play. That's with- what I was going to ask you. What What are the 49ers? I mean, where? What's What's your? What's the opinion of of Witherspoon right now? Because I mean, yeah, he did give up that last touchdown. Yeah, and, well, yeah, and you said you said I know you said something about the alignment, but it's like, what do you what do the 49ers do with Witherspoon now that he's actually playing and he's out here talking shit to DK Metcalf? <laughs> I think ideally you would like to try to get him um, back on a one year contract, something like they did with Jimmy Ward. You know, remember when Jimmy Ward was going to be a free agent, and or he was a free agent. 49ers were able to bring him back on a one year, five million dollar deal, and he said that there were a couple teams that offered him a little bit more money, but they wanted him to play more cornerback. He wanted to be a safety. So he bet on himself to play out that year for a little bit less money and on his uh, contract, which he did. And he's flying around. I really like Jimmy Ward. Um, Witherspoon might be something like that, same type of situation. But I, ha- you know, I have heard that Witherspoon has been directly told by Sala, "Hey, if you know, when you become a free agent, let me get the first crack at you. Let me get the you know first offer. You know, when or if I get a head coaching job somewhere. So um, I'd assume there's a little bit of rift." With Witherspoon and and Kyle Shanahan, that that's where the issues are. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say it's because Kyle Shanahan likes a certain type of player, and if you don't really fit kind of that mold, that toughness, he kind of just doesn't care for you anymore. <laughs> We've seen that. We've seen him get rid of guys. Like if you're not all for just going all out and what he's trying to put together, he'll get rid of your ass. And I think Witherspoon kind of got in his doghouse because maybe the way he was handling things, maybe he didn't feel like, oh, he's not tough enough, whatever the case is. But I think Robert Sala is somebody that liked Witherspoon the whole time. But I don't think Shanahan was really feeling him like that. So I think if if Spoon does have the opportunity to leave and go somewhere else with, with uh, Sala, I, I think he will. And Witherspoon's going to have people throwing some money at him. Not saying it's going to be like real money, like $10 million, but he, he, there's going to be people that offer Witherspoon a contract. I, I guarantee, even though he's been up and down, if his agent throws out there like, hey, there was a Kyle Shanahan thing, got in the doghouse, had to fight through that. Look, my guy can play. Look at this, this, this. Look at these games. He's strung together these games. He's had these really good moments. Like, somebody's going to pay him. Yeah. I agree. I, I think I think most of the offers that Akella Witherspoon gets will probably be for one year deals, maybe two. But he, uh, you know, I don't think the 49ers are going to be the highest bidder. 
That's for sure. Um, it just depends. I mean, the 49ers secondary is uh, is going to be a weird this offseason. It's all it's basically assumed that Richard Sherman's headed out the door. Uh, Jason Verrett, who's who's played extraordinarily well this season, is going to be a free agent. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley is going to be a restricted free agent. Akella Witherspoon is going to be a free agent. So, I mean, they're they're basically losing outside of I mean, K1 Williams, uh, their starting nickel corner, who's had dealt with injuries this year. Um, but still very, very solid. He is going to be a free agent. So the entire 49ers secondary, you know, outside of the safeties is, I th- and even Jaquiski Tart is going to be a free agent. So yeah. everybody in the secondary minus Jimmy Ward is going to be a free agent. So the 49ers have a lot of work to do in that regard. But I just, just for that reason, I wouldn't put it past them trying to keep Akella Witherspoon around just so because so they could have a, a competent corner that knows what they're doing you know and, and it, it we'll see but I, I do think that another team will probably come along and offer him more than the 49ers are willing to give him but All it's right. been weird to see him just play pretty well over and and again like that play we were talking about where he's you got scored on the in the end zone um Tyler Lockett just ran all the way across the field and, and basically weaving in and out of everybody. And Akella <laughs> Witherspoon had to follow him all the way across. And you said he had outside leverage at the snap, right? Yeah, outside leverage at the snap of a crossing route, you're you're not gonna get there unless the receiver is slow. Now well, if he's then, like how uh, Tyler Lockett, do you I mean, I don't know. He's a smaller guy, Witherspoon's taller. Do you think Akella Witherspoon's gonna be able to keep up with him across the field, even if he's lined up straight up? He has a better chance of possibly getting hands on, yeah, but it's right. difficult. Typically, on any crossing route, like it's kind of hard, especially if the play is able to take a long time to develop. Um, you ideally would like uh, or somebody that's kind of able to uh, rob the crosser. So, typically, in those type of situations, that's what you'll see. You'll see somebody like a down safety that's able to help on the crosser because. Typically, in any mesh concept, there's somebody that's going to come open on the crosser. Now, the 49ers, I want to say they sent a lot of players. So I don't think they had anybody to help um, in the middle of the field to rob that crosser. So I think that was kind of more the issue there. Right. Yeah, and it was just a, it's just a tough play for Akella Witherspoon. And I'm sure he was, he was supposed to line up outside. Probably one of those, you know, especially when you uh, – you know, when you blitz that many guys, usually they tell you don't let anybody get outside of you and keep everything inside, and and that's what he was doing, and and that it worked against him. You know, in that case, um, but it is what it is. I'm trying to go through, make sure, and and I don't want anybody to think that we're not going to talk about like the season as a whole and review stuff. This is just our reaction to today's game. That's already longer than it usually is, but we're gonna we're gonna we'll have plenty of. You know, reviewing the offense, reviewing the defense, you know, who should come back, who should they let go, uh, all this kind of stuff coming up over the next couple weeks just to just to kind of cap off the season. So I don't want anybody to think that this this uh, this is just all we're going to leave off with. Um, But it is it is our last post game reaction of the 2020 slash 21 season, which is uh, which is kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy to think that, uh, the, you know, the, the the 49ers 2020 NFL season just came to an end, especially with all the crazy shit that happened this year. Um, 
But hey, maybe next year they'll get to play in their own stadium. That would be crazy. <laughs> That'd be yeah. wild. Uh, Crocker, you got any closing thoughts, man? Ah, uh, man. Um, shout out to the 49ers, man. Just playing, you know, so tough. Not just today, but, you know, throughout this season, considering the circumstances, dealing with COVID and then losing your home, having to play on the road for the last month, um, living in, you know, somewhere else and, um, just, you know, the injuries, fighting through all the adversities and stuff and still being competitive in pretty much every game, man, um, with mostly backups due to injuries. Uh, they, you know, it, they gave me something to be, to look up to, you know, heading into next year. Yeah, I thought, I think that's a great, great comment. Overall, I feel like the 49ers made the absolute best of the situation that they were presented, um, and and hopefully we'll see a much much different team uh, next year. Uh, a lot of the same guys, but hopefully they all stay on the field. And the 49ers are able to put together something that is looks closer to 2019 than it does 20, because this team is a lot, a lot, a lot better uh, than what we got to see this year. But they'll go into the 2020 draft with the 12th overall pick, and that's in a prime position to do whatever they want to do. They can take best overall player. They could they could start calling some teams if they want to move up. They're not too far back, you know. It's they they can do whatever they want to do from that spot, you know. They can trade back, get more picks, whatever, whatever. So that'll be a lot of fun to talk about. But hey, that will that will all come. We will have episodes for all of that. We'll do mock drafts. We'll do what would Crocker do? What would I do? You know, what do we think the 49ers will do? What for you know free agency? It, it's all coming. I mean, it's exciting to talk about it because it's always interesting to me to go into all that and 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 get our opinions out there. But but for now, our last post game reaction of 2020. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for sticking with us all season. Thank you for making Striking Gold podcast what it is. Thank you for all the mailbag submissions and the comments and the laughs and all that stuff. Uh, again, we'll, we'll the podcast we're not shutting it down. Um, but it, you know, it just seems like an appropriate time to say thanks to everybody for sticking with us and, and being some legit ass listeners. Um, but Hey, for another evening, for another episode, this is striking gold and we are signing out. Justice was served for Kendrick Bourne. Peace out motherfuckers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.